Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. Now on to the talking news. Preparing for the schematic design phase. High School Building Committee starts work on Module 4 by Joanna K. Zuvalis. The Belmont High School Building Committee is getting ready to begin the work on Module 4, the schematic design phase in the eight-module process with the Massachusetts School Building Authority, the MSBA. The MSBA will be reimbursing the town approximately 40% of the cost for a grade 7 through 12 building, 451,575 square feet, to accommodate 2,215 students. The cost is estimated at $307.2 million, with Belmont contribution being $227.3 million. There will be a ballot question for a debt exclusion on the November 6th general election. The amount will be determined upon completion of the project funding agreement with the MSBA in August. On January 23rd, the school committee voted unanimously in favor of a grade 7 through 12 option which will change the lower school configurations to K-3 for the Butler, Burbank, Wellington, and Winbrook, and 4 to 6 for the Chenery Middle School. The school committee, selectmen, and BHS building committee also voted on January 23rd on the major addition minor renovation design option known as the bow tie with two separate entrances for the upper and lower school students. Core space on the first floor of the building will be shared, which will include a pre-function area for the auditorium, theater, and gymnasiums. Since January 23rd, the BHS Building Committee completed the work they needed to do for the preferred schematic report. Module 3 in the MSBA process. Belmont High School Building Committee Chairman Bill Lavello said they expect to hear a decision from the MSBA board on April 10 after they review the completed preferred schematic report submitted February 21. Over the next five weeks, Lavello said that they will start preparing for the Module 4 by looking at more details for the building's design such as lockers and bathrooms. They will continue to discuss traffic and will meet with the Traffic Advisory Committee and the newly hired consultant for a townwide traffic study on March 8. They will also be meeting with all the stakeholders in town, such as the police, fire, and public works departments, planning board, recreation commission, historic district commission, and school food services department. 
The schematic design package is due to the MSBA by July 11. After April 10, the design team will, pre uh, will present more detailed images, drawings, and models of the exterior and interior of the new building. Design team will then do a presentation for committee members to experience what the new building will be like wearing virtual reality goggles. Lavello said that there will also be a movie of the virtual reality walkthrough, which will be shown at public meetings and linked to the BH High School, BHS School Building Committee website, where they will be seeking more community feedback and input. During this phase, cost estimates for the new building will also be determined. After Module 4 is completed in July, Module 5, the completion of the construction documents, will begin in November. If debt exclusion passes and, and take approximately 12 to 15 months to complete, during Module 6, the project will go out to bid and a contractor will be hired. During Module 7, the construction of the project will begin in 2020 and is estimated to take 42 months to complete. Module 8 is the closing out of the project. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Homeowners appeal to be taken off the significant list by Joanna K. Zavallis. Three homeowners have asked to have their homes removed from the list of historic buildings subject to the demolition by delay bylaw approved at last year's annual town meeting. The Board of Selectmen has refused the appeals on two of the residential properties and a third residential appeal is pending. 182 Belmont properties are on the list of Belmont significant historic buildings subject to the demolition delay bylaw, which was approved by town meeting. If someone wants to partially or completely demolish any of those properties, a demolition permit must be filed, which will be referred to the Historic District Commission for a public hearing. If the Historic Commission determines it is preferable to preserve the property, the owner would then have to wait up to one year while the commission discusses alternatives to demolition. This bylaw was created to protect properties like the historic First Congregational Church on Trapella Road, which was demolished by a developer in 2013. However, a handful of homeowners are concerned it will affect their property value and have filed appeals to be removed from the list. The appeal process. Homeowners will have to demonstrate why they think their building does not qualify as historically significant based upon six criteria, such as whether or not the building was associated with a historic significant event or with the life of historically significant, significant person. The selectmen have the authority at the appeals hearing to approve or deny the property owner's appeal. Recently, appeals for 52 Willow Street and 43 Village Hill Road were denied because the selectmen did not think the reasons the owner gave to be taken off the list were justified. Ben Bauer, owner of 52 Willow Street, designed by architect Charles Greco, 
said his home is not historically significant and being on the list will affect its property value. He was very disappointed with the selectmen's decision. They made statements such as, no one would want to tear down our house, which might be the case, but is not relevant to the appeal, he said. Bauer also feels there are many other historic homes in town that aren't on the list. He said his home is not a teardown, but he doesn't know what tomorrow's economy will bring and worries he won't get the best price for his house when the time comes to sell. The selectmen didn't think that was reason enough to justify Bauer's property being taken off the list. It's like a communist rule in a way, said Bauer. In her appeal letter, Barbara Watson, owner of 43 Village Hill Road, designed by architect Royal Barry Wills, stated, Given the number of houses that Mr. Wills designed, not all can be significant, and there is no indication that 43 Village Hill Road stands out from the rest. I have found no indication that the house received any architectural, artistic, or other award. After her denial at the February 5th hearing, Watson pleaded with the selectmen to approve the appeal of her nearby neighbor, Derek Staples, owner of 27 Dorset Road, also designed by Royal Barry Wills, located close to Route 2. Now here's Max. Thanks, Claire. Flu's grip on Massachusetts is still strong. Health officials urge residents to get their flu shot by Mary Byrne. With each passing week, the flu's grip on Massachusetts seems to get stronger. With few exceptions, the majority of the Bay State is reporting high levels of influenza-like illness activities, according to the State Department of Public Health weekly report. The North Shore in particular is in the red zone, indicating the highest level of reported activity. And just recently, the state's DPH confirmed the first influenza-associated pediatric death in the Commonwealth. Delilah Loveless, age 6, of Haverhill, was a first-grade student at the Golden Hill School, reported Wicked News partner WCVB. This is a tragic reminder of how serious the flu can be for some people, said Public Health Commissioner Monica Barrell, MD, MPH, in a statement. Every flu season is different, but every flu season is bad. This one arrived early and continues to spread, leading, leading pe- many people throughout the Commonwealth to get sick. As of February 16th, the latest data available from the state DPH uh, says there have been 10,929 laboratory-confirmed cases of influenza so far in the 2017-2018 flu season. In just the last week, Massachusetts saw 2,762 confirmed cases of the flu, indicating numbers are still on the rise. The report notes that because a majority of cases aren't lab-tested, the number of confirmed cases doesn't necessarily reflect the, quote, overall incidence of influenza, unquote. Still, there is no doubt this flu season has been more severe than last, local health officials say. In Danvers, there have been 79 cases of lab-confirmed flu since the beginning. The season began on October 1st, according to Danvers public health nurse Judith Ryan. 
In the last two weeks alone, there were 43 reported cases. That's compared to 45 confirmed cases at this point in the 2014 flu season, two cases in 2015-2016, and 24 cases in 2016-2017. It did start a bit earlier around here in Danvers, she said, but it is continuing through right now. The biggest thing we want people to understand is it's not too late to get a flu shot. A more virulent flu season. Those who work at urgent care centers are feeling the severity of this year's flu season, according to AFC Urgent Care Medical Director Sonia Beauvais. This year, my overall feeling is that it's been a little more virulent, Beauvais said. It's making people feel a little sicker. She said she's seen more patients this year than at the same time last year, and a lot of her patients are overflow from primary care and emergency care departments at surrounding hospitals. As for why the North Shore may be getting hit so hard by the flu this season, health officials say they aren't certain. The only thing I can point out is we do have an international airport, Logan, that tends to bring more travelers to the region and whatnot, said said Dr. Mark Gendro, chief medical officer of Beverly and Addison Gilbert Hospitals. He explained there are currently two strains of flu, type A and type B, one of which presents itself more severely than the other. It basically goes after the very young and the very old, he said. That's why we're seeing fairly high rates of hospitalization throughout the state and particularly through the North Shore. That strain, H3N2, tends to be more aggressive and more difficult for the seasonal flu vaccine to protect against, Gendro said. Don't be a hero. Both Gendro and Beauvais said this year's flu vaccine isn't as good as previous years, but explained that releasing a vaccine each year isn't an exact science. It's based off the flu season in the southern hemisphere and what strains dominated there. The problem is that the H3N2, when it shows up, that's a challenge, Gendro said. The seasonal flu vaccine tends to perform poorly when that particular strain turns out to be the predominant strain. This might explain why there are cases in which an individual who got the vaccine still comes down with the flu. But for those who are doubtful of the efficacy of this year's vaccine, Health officials, such as Dr. Alex Walker, chairman of the emergency department for Melrose Wakefield Hospital in Melrose and Lawrence Memorial Hospital in Medford, say the flu shot, even if it doesn't prevent the flu, reduces the severity of flu symptoms. People think it's all or nothing, he said. If you get the flu shot and you get the flu, at least you're not laid up for 10 days. It may be 5 to 7 with the flu shot. At least your body ache... On the 1 to 10 scale, maybe not a 10 out of 10, maybe it's a 5 out of 10. Walker said early reports that the vaccine was only 10% effective quickly caught the attention of the media and the public. While he said the vaccine isn't as effective as prior years, he said the efficacy is closer to 40%. Other medical professionals agreed. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Resident named Arlington Middle School Principal. The Arlington Public Schools announced in a press release on February 16 that Belmont resident Brian Merlinger accepted the position of principal of the Audison Middle School, formerly the Junior High West. 
Maringer will officially assume his responsibilities as principal on July 1st, 2018. Audison Middle School will benefit from a highly capable, student-focused, and proven school leader as it transitions next year to a grade 7 and 8 school, said Superintendent Kathleen Bodie. Merringer comes with high praise from his colleagues, students, and community, and we'll look forward to him filling this key role in the leadership team for the district. Bodie emphasized that the district attracted very strong candidates for the Audison position. All finalist candidates were very accomplished, and they will continue to provide excellent public education leadership in their current and future positions. Merringer has been in his current position of assistant headmaster of the Dover Shearborn Middle School since 2013. Previously, he was a housemaster in the Philip O. Coakley Middle School in Norwood. In Norwood, he also coached varsity girls basketball and boys soccer. From 2002 through 2008, he taught both sixth and seventh grade in the Wellesley Middle School while teaching social studies, language arts, and literacy there, he also completed his administrative internship. He began his work as an educator teaching social studies in middle schools in the Concord and Rockport public schools. Merringer received his BA from the University of New Hampshire. He holds a Master's of Arts in Teaching History from Boston College and a Master of Education in Organization Management from Endicott College. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. A new proposal to address climate change by Senator William Brownsberger. Earlier this week, the Senate Committee on Global Warming and Climate Change released an omnibus bill, Climate Change Bill. The bill combines dozens of ideas that are currently on the table for reducing carbon emissions. If the bill is brought for a vote, I will certainly vote for it. I support action to reduce carbon emissions and a vote for the bill. will keep the conversation moving. I am most enthusiastic about the provisions of the bill that would create market mechanisms to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from vehicles and buildings. Vehicles account for approximately 40% of the greenhouse gases in Massachusetts, and buildings account for almost as much. Electric power generation now only emits approximately 20% of the greenhouse gas. For three reasons, we have tended to focus on the electric power sector in policy discussions about greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions. First, it was once a larger slice of the pie. It has shrunk over the past few years, in part because our efforts to shift it towards renewables, but largely because many generators have shifted from coal to cheaper natural gas, which contributes less to global warming. Second, the state has a long history of directly regulating the power sector to prevent overcharging by monopoly utilities, so it was easy to start regulating it to reduce carbon emissions. Finally, wind, solar, and other emergent energy industries are very active in lobbying and have effectively sought subsidies to support their growth. 
The present legislation continues to expand subsidies for particular electric power sources. While I do not oppose these subsidies, I'll confess some uneasiness about them. I am skeptical of our ability to make good quantitative decisions about just how much of an asset we should give to particular technologies. I prefer market-based incentives that encourage consumers to choose the carbon reduction approach that works best for them. That is why I am especially enthusiastic about the bill's provisions for reducing vehicle and building emissions. The bill requires the Secretary of Energy and Environmental Affairs to promulgate regulations creating market-based mechanisms to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, first from cars and light trucks, then from commercial and industrial buildings, then from residential buildings, with the regulatory rollout to complete by 2022. The bill contemplates that these mechanisms may be created in collaboration with other states and or Canadian provinces, especially for transportation sector, by definition mobile across state lines. A regional approach makes sense. I am also pleased that the bill puts teeth into the Global Warming Solutions Act that we passed in 2008. The Global Warming Act defined a goal of an 80% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. The present legislation would require the setting of intermediate goals and the definition of pathways to achieving those goals. It requires that the new market mechanisms for reducing vehicle and building emissions be calibrated so as to make achievements of those goals more likely. The bill also speaks to climate adaptation. As much as we may lead on reducing emissions in Massachusetts, we can be sure that the climate will continue to change and we need to be prepared. I've been especially focused on the flood risks created by rising seas and more powerful storms. Now to Max. Thank you, Claire. Looking Back and Ahead to the Future by Angela Toma. March 4th marks the 150th anniversary of the Belmont Public Library's founding. To celebrate the milestone, Belmont Library Director Peter Struzero is planning a three-day event, Books in Bloom, kicking off this Friday, March 2nd. The festivities will begin at 7 p.m. on March 2nd with an opening reception. There will be food, live music, and a cash bar. As part of the celebration, Members of the Garden Club will create floral interpretations of their favorite books. All the attendees at the opening reception will score a peek at these exhibits. On Saturday, March 3rd, the Belmont Historical Society will take center stage with a multimedia exhibit in the Claflin Room from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. The Garden Club will also host a flower arranging demonstration from 1 until 2 p.m. The three-day celebration wraps up on March 4th with a family birthday party complete with crafts, cake, and a used book sale. Struzero is most excited to see the floral displays. He has heard the Garden Club is creating a visual of Frankenstein, his favorite book. This year also marks the 200th anniversary of the writing of Frankenstein. Books in Bloom is not only a way to celebrate the library's past, 
The event will also serve as a public introduction to the Belmont Library Foundation. The foundation exists to help raise money for the construction of a new public library. For the past couple of years, the foundation was dormant, but it is now experiencing a period of revitalization. I wanted to find an opportunity for the BLF to have a coming out party and let the public know they exist, said Strucero. It will be a prime time for the foundation to interface with the public and to let everyone know the important work they are involved with for the library. Looking towards the future. While the library celebrates its past, it is also preparing for the future. Over the years, its role in the community has shifted to remain relevant, according to Struziero. We are much more than a place to access information, said Struziero. We are really the living room of the community and a place where you can come and enjoy a wide spectrum of different programming for all ages. We really have something for everyone here. While the library's core functions have adapted and kept up with the changing times, its structure has not. David Steveter, president of the Belmont Library Foundation, has begun the process of building a public-private partnership to help fund a new library building. The building is at the end of its useful life, said Steveter. It needs to be constructed and oriented in a way that meets the needs of our community today and in the future. The discussion around building a new public library is not new. The town commissioned a feasibility study in 2016 to explore three options for improvements. The first option was a renovation only with no additions. The second option was renovations and additions. Finally, the third option looked at new construction. The architect firm Johnson Roberts Associates, Inc. completed the study in May 2017. The study recommended the third option as the most efficient. The proposed facility is a two-story structure with 38,950 square feet. The current library is approximately 29,650 square feet. Both Steveter and Struzero believe a new public library will better serve public needs. Steveter noted that a surprising number of residents visited the Watertown or Arlington Library over the Belmont Library. There are two main reasons. They do not find what they're looking for in Belmont, and they prefer the space in Watertown and Arlington. They feel the space is more inviting. We do not want to lose those people, said Steveter. They are Belmontians. We want them. We would love to have them to be a part of our community and our library. A building committee for the new library has been appointed and, is meeting, and me, has been meeting since January. They are currently working on a request for bid for an owner's project manager and hope to have a schematic design for the new building by the late fall. Kathy Keohane, chairman of the Board of Library Trustees, said there will be more community meetings seeking input throughout the process. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Outstanding Teacher Award nominations now open. The Foundation for Belmont Education recently announced that nominations for the 2018 Outstanding Teacher Awards and the S. Warren Farrell Award for Educational Excellence open on February 26th. This recognition program, sponsored by the Belmont Savings Bank Foundation, identifies and celebrates the extraordinary contributions made by teachers in the Belmont Public Schools. 
Belmont is fortunate to have a cadre of excellent teachers who bring enriching educational experience to students throughout the district. With the FBE's Outstanding Teacher Awards, the community has a chance to honor the talented and dedicated teachers who work hard every day to make a difference for our students and for the Belmont Public Schools. Community members, colleagues, parents, and high school and middle school students can submit nominations for teachers who deserve this special recognition. Nominations are accepted between February 26th and March 31st by filling out an online form. Teachers from Belmont's six public schools are chosen for this award. The recipients are honored first at a surprise classroom visit and then at a district-wide awards ceremony on May 1st at the Chenery Middle School. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Beacon Hill Roll Call. There's a plan to coordinate efforts to combat Alzheimer's. House 153 to 0 approved and sent to the Senate a bill requiring the government, Governor's Executive Office of Health and Human Service to assess all current state programs that address Alzheimer's disease and create and maintain an integrated state plan to overcome the illness. The plan would include accelerating the development of treatments that would prevent, halt, or reverse the disease, helping to coordinate the health care and treatment of individuals with the disease, ensuring the inclusion of ethnic and racial populations who have a higher risk or are the least likely to receive care for the disease and implementing a strategy to increase the diagnostic rate. Another provision requires doctors, physician assistants, and nurses to complete a one-time course of training and education on the diagnosis, treatment, and care of patients with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other cognitive impairments. The measure also creates an advisory council on Alzheimer's research and treatment to work closely with the state agencies and the legislature. Alzheimer's disease is a growing epidemic. It's impacting hundreds of thousands of Massachusetts residents, said Jim Wessler, president and CEO of the Alzheimer's Association, Massachusetts, New Hampshire chapter. Supporters said that this disease affects more than 120,000 people in the Bay State, and according to the Alzheimer's Association, that number is projected to increase by 25% to 150,000 by 2025. They argued deaths from Alzheimer's have nearly doubled from 2000 to 2014, and it is time for the state to step up to the plate and lead the way in the care for people with Alzheimer's and in the fight to eradicate it. Now to Max. Sadly, we're out of time. Over to you, Bob. <coughs> Along with my colleagues, Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont. <laughs>